I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, it's Boxing Day. (sighs) Deep sigh. Maybe you're braving the sales or maybe you're already returning presents that you just got. You know, you wouldn't be alone. Returns, also called reverse logistics, is a booming business. Many of those returns end up at liquidators where they're sold for cheap. Our producer, Enza Uda, went to one store called Crazy Bins in Surrey, B.C. My name is Firas Mahmoud. I'm a regional manager, business partner for Crazy Bands. It's like a new concept of retail, returned items. We are uh, dealing with big online retailers, electronics, kitchen stuff, shoes, uh, toys. Uh, Every day we have long lineup. Our Saturday is uh, as a prime day, $25 each item, whatever it is, everything, anything. Thursday and Friday, any item will be for $1 only. Last Saturday, they started lining up at 5 a.m. Wow. Places like these have been described as a cross between a dollar store and a reality TV show. Deal hunters search through giant bins hoping to strike gold. So what did you find? found a power bar and a magnifying glass for my eyes. And what do you think about this concept? It's good. Reduce, reuse, recycle. That's what it is. Random stuff. You can pretty much uh, just like a treasure hunt. I'm here to this treasure hunt. I find everything. I got some brand new speakers once that are meant for meant for boats. Although I'd use it in a car, but they're waterproof. Done for five bucks. Brand new. This is for I actually get a gift for my friends, kids, adults, stuffs, and some slippers, backpacks, clothes. Yeah, there's a lot. And I love coming here. <laughs> well, the returns industry is estimated it will be worth nearly $1 trillion U.S. worldwide by 2029. New Yorker writer David Owen looked into the topic, writing an article with a great name, What Happens to All the Stuff We Return? David joins me now. Good morning, David. Good morning. When you set out to, to research this, did you know what happens to all the stuff we return? Uh, no, and uh, the idea came from an editor, and I thought, well, you know, I feel like I already, I've read about this before. I feel like I already know, you know, it's just our stuff. Uh, but it turns out that it is really fascinating. Returns have become an industry. There's a huge number of, it's like the mirror image of the, of the supply chain, the reverse supply chain. People uh, taking stuff that uh, consumers decide they don't want and finding ways to sell it again. Well, we're going to talk about Canada in a moment, but how much stuff is returned in the United States annually? Oh, it's, it, I think the numbers are all kind of soft, but it's just, it's a staggering, staggering amount of stuff, like hundreds of billions of dollars worth. And COVID had a big impact on it. Mm-hmm. You know, people, uh, uh, because during COVID, brick and mortar stores shut down and people did more much more buying online. It was a huge boost to online shopping. And 
when you buy online, you have much less opportunity to really compare. I've got on my desk right now, I have there, my computer has two monitors. Colors look different on the two monitors, even though they're from the same manufacturer. So if you're looking at item of at a clothing article that you want to buy, uh, even the color could be different depending on whether you're looking on your phone, on your laptop, on a desktop. Uh, and so it's become common now in much of the world uh, to you order multiples and you look at them and you send, you send back what you don't want. Uh, I went to a, a conference in Las Vegas, a convention of people in the reverse logistics industry, people who deal with returns and overstocks. And uh, there was a, an executive from Amazon there who handles returns in of their electronics and he said that even though he knows <laughs> what uh you know all about return behavior he still shops the way the rest of us do so when he orders shoes he said he'll order two pairs half size apart uh he'll try it on one and even if it fits perfectly he'll still think hmm, maybe the other one fits a tiny bit better uh and he'll try that one on too and then send it back even though he knows that that second pair will not go back into regular inventory. Mm. I think most online shoppers assume that when they send something back, it'll just go back on the, you know, on the online shelf and somebody and that's, be available that, for that's sale what I again at full I mean, price. That's, that's what yeah. I thought would be sort of standard practice, but clearly that's not the, and, and, and you mentioned the impact of the pandemic. So how have return rates changed over the years? Uh, they've risen, they've risen, you know, like a uh, hundred years ago, maybe 2% of purchases were returned by buyers. But now it's in, in apparel, it can be uh, online apparel sales, as much as 40% goes back. Wow. And it's it's like 20% roughly through everything. You know, and it's different from country to country. In Japan, consumers return hardly anything. So there, there are cultural differences. Uh, I'm sure we in the United States are the world's um, most fickle shoppers and the most likely to return. And, and so why, uh, why are you so good at, at returning? Why, <laughs> what, what is it about I think, Americans? I think, you know, Canadians are, it's in the United States and Canada too. North Americans are, pro, are, are big returners. I, I don't know what it is. It's just a, a feeling of, partly it's ignorance, not knowing what, assuming that when you send something back, it just, it'll just be sold to somebody else and, and without thinking it through. But it's also just, I, I don't know, maybe it's a sense of entitlement, feeling that your possession should be exactly what you want. And, and it, you're going to order a bunch and see what you like. And, and it is, a lot of that, is that winter holiday and Christmas returns? Is that a big bulk of it? Oh, it's huge. Uh, that's huge. Because uh, you'll get stuff you don't want. And I remember I had to mail something last year and I went to the, uh, uh, I had to, or I had to ship it from UPS. I went to the UPS store and there were people lined up with returns. And it used to be when you return something, you had to get a return authorization, you had to get a label, you had to repackage it. Now, for many, you know, for Amazon, for other, you just go to UPS store or another uh, location, you get a QR code from the manufacturer, and you take the unpackaged item, they scan it, and they, they, they consolidate shipments and send it back to mm. wherever it's supposed to go. Well, you, you went to a reverse logistics association conference, reverse logistics being returns, but it sounds a lot fancier. So you went to this conference. W what did you learn about the industry? It was really interesting. Uh, there were lots of people there. They were all uh, trying to figure out how to profit from returns or how to uh, make returns more environmentally conscionable than, than they really are. Lots of interesting people from every part of the retail world, the shipping world, except as someone pointed out to me, from apparel. Apparel is really hard. The reason is, even though people return huge amounts of it, uh, huge quantities of clothing go back 
but even so it's hard to turn that around and sell it to somebody else so, and so that's why you you go online and you'll see pictures of huge huge mountains of just you know returned garments that are basically now landfill just junked exactly uh, or they're, they're what's called the, the euphemism in the uh in the returns industry is energy recycling which is just means uh, incineration oh my gosh you, you joined a roundtable with a man who manages the returns of, of, of Amazon's house brand electronics devices. What, what did you learn of, about how they are doing business in that sector? Well, what he said was that when, you know, when stuff goes back throughout the industry, people talk about triage. So you send something back and it's examined quickly to see what kind of condition it's in, whether it can be resold, what it what needs to be done to it before it can be resold, and it's sort of divided. Uh, and I asked him, what's the size of the slice in that triage group that just goes right back on the shelf? And he said, it's minimal. He said, it's, it depends on the category, but it's basically, it's closer to nothing than it is to, to something. And the reason is that, you know, once something's been open, you don't know what's happened to it. And it, you can't just put it, put it back. I remember, you know, when I was 10, my mother would take me to buy school shoes and I would try on several pairs and the ones that didn't fit would go back in the box and, you know, some other obnoxious 10 year old would try them on later uh but that doesn't happen with online stuff you don't know what's happened to it uh, and also especially because people will order a pair of shoes wear them get them filthy wear really wear them out instead and then send them back amazon will take that stuff back lots of people will take it walmart will take that back because it's good business uh, right you're, you're you're keeping your your customers happy Right. It's this kind of this paradox. Uh, returns are costly for manufacturers, but they don't want unhappy customers. And so on the one hand, they're kind of, you know, they're imposing little charges. They're making it in some ways more complicated to make returns. But they also, they don't want to make it so complicated uh, that you decide to go shop someplace else. And so at the same time, they're making it easier. You know, Target has drive up refund windows. You don't even have to get out of your car. Uh, there's a, there's a company that will send, uh, you know, an underemployed, uh, delivery driver to your house to pick up your return and take it to the UPS store costs you nothing, but the manufacturer wants you to be happy with your purchase, uh, so that you'll, or the retailer so that you'll come back and buy something else. You know, I mean, it's staggering. Your article reported that winter holiday returns alone in the United States are now worth more than $300 billion a year, 1.5% of the U.S. GDP, which would be bigger than the GDP of many countries. I, I'm just, I'm staggered by by the sort of the size and scope of this. Now, you wrote that one of the most popular pres presenters at that reverse logistics conference you went to was a man named Spencer Keboom. What, what's his story? He's a uh, he's a baseball he was a baseball player major league baseball player, uh, and he's now he's uh, his business is the one that I just described. They, they like uh, you know DoorDash drivers. You spend a lot of time not doing anything, so he's he's becomes an intermediary for brand owners, retailers uh, who want to make it easier for their customers to return stuff that they don't want. So you've you've bought something. You're going to return it. You just don't get around to taking it to the UPS store. The The seller wants you to be happy. They also want to get that stuff back as fast as possible because items are seasonal. You know, in most in most uh, categories, there's every purchases have seasons. So it's easier to resell 
a you know pressure washer in pressure washing season or a, a, a you know you, you you want to get it back if you're if there's anything that can be done with it you want to get it back as soon as you can I so never, i never thought of pressure washing as a season but i i take your point <laughs> right right and there may there may be more than one season but but there are definitely uh see and and you know like uh artificial christmas trees mm. uh huge numbers of them go back people buy them and then they send them back right after christmas because uh, they don't need it anymore uh it's probably too late to get that back uh for sale it is too late to get it back for sale for this year but uh the, y- y- people want to move if they if they if there's any possibility of reselling it they want to get it back and you can see this in st- in stores too in the old days uh, in a in a department store, items would be, they'd be on the shelf for a while, then they'd be discounted a certain percentage, then discounted again, then discounted again, then discounted again. Now there tends to be one, there'll be one price cut and then get it out of here. Uh, so when you go to a store like the, the uh, store mentioned in the, the first part of this piece uh, where that sells returns and overstocks, you know, very often that stuff was on the shelf for a fairly limited amount of time, and then it goes to a secondary channel to to be sold again. One of the people I talked to who runs a really interesting business based that's uh, mostly in Georgia that remanufactures and refurbishes returns for big uh, brand owners. Uh, he said he never buys anything new anymore because he's mm. he you know he'll go to he'll he'll go to uh, Ollie's or someplace like that and you know buy the same item. Uh, that's in good condition. It was just returned and it's been re- refurbished, and it probably has a warranty, and it can be returned. It's a returned item that can be returned again uh, under its new warranty, and uh, he's, that's where he does his shopping now. So after after all the research you did, the people that you've met, you know, really deep dive into this. What what does this massive size of the returns industry? What does it? What have you learned? What does it say about consumer culture today? Well, our Consumer culture is really shocking and uh, depressing. Just the, um, we buy so much and we, so much more than we need uh, and we get rid of it one way or another. You know, people talk about it. Amazon will say nothing that was returned to us goes to landfill. And what they, all they mean is that they don't necessarily send anything directly to landfill themselves. But there's this whole food chain of, of secondary uh, handlers, product handlers below Amazon who handle their returns, who handle the returns of the returns, who handle all these items all the way down to, uh, you know, individual buyers of stuff. And lots of that, lots of that stuff ends up in landfills or it ends up in so-called energy recovery or energy recycling. It, um, uh, it's just a, a huge amount of waste, uh, which you especially see in apparel. Uh, clothes are hard to sell again. Because fashions go out of fashion and the items that get returned, you don't end up with a whole inventory of T-shirts that look exactly the same. You end up with a lot of one-offs. It's, it's, they're hard to sell. Uh, and uh, I saw, I watched, I followed an auction for uh, more than $100,000 worth of, of shoes, design, many of them designer shoes, names you recognize, new, most of them new, most of them in the box. Uh, and it attracted no bidders. It's just too hard to to deal with that stuff, and so a lot of it ends up uh, junked. Mm. Well, that's uh, that certainly makes me look at my Christmas gifts with, in a new light, David. <laughs> right, right. It's a fascinating uh, topic, but great to talk to you. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you, David Owen is a staff writer at the New Yorker.
Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. So what about the Canadian consumer? Well, to discuss that, I'm joined by David Johnston. He's the George Weston Chair in Sustainable Supply Chains at the Schulich School of Business at York University. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So what is the size of the returns industry in Canada? Good question, and I think David Owen suggested that there's a number of there. What we know in the United States uh, from the National Federation of Retailers, on average, is about 17%. But anecdotally, what we know in Canada and some of the folks that are in that industry that David was talking about, uh, we talk about returns as high as 20 to 30% of sales. Mm. And, and why is it? I mean, we, we talked before about, you know, trying to keep the customers happy, but why do retailers really incentivize these returns to make it so easy? Well, for one thing, the consumer wants it. They want low-risk shopping. Uh, the other thing, it's an old uh, maximum of marketing, is that it's nine to ten uh, times easier to retain a customer than to acquire a new one. So they definitely don't want to lose somebody who is dissatisfied with the product. Matter of fact, they want to incentivize them to get habituated to basically buying lots and lots of stuff from you. Mm. I just want to mention for, for our listeners out there, we, we can hear these birds behind you. And it's very nice. We don't often hear the birds in behind. But it, in case people are now looking <laughs> around their house thinking, is there a bird in my house? It's actually behind you. I just, just wanted to point that out so, so people just know <laughs> what's going on. Okay. I will, I will tell them to try to be quiet. No, no, that's fine. It's, kind of, it's, it's, it's adding a very nice vibe to this interview. Now, how much of this is, is really, though, an issue with overconsumption? It is exactly what it's about. And overconsumption is the problem here. And it's a problem not only from the point of view of a, a bigger societal point of view, because what happens to all that stuff that goes through the various cycles from retailer to discounter to stock clearer to crazy bins to whatever the other parts of the food chain are here that use the old old material. Um, and eventually it ends up, of course, in recycling. Mm -hmm. and, and that which cannot be recycled ends up in landfill. And uh, that's a real problem. As you know, landfill is getting scarcer and scarcer and more expensive. So, so apart from the problems with uh, carbon footprint and all those other things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm wondering, I mean, this, this whole reverse logistics industry, whatever we want to call it, the returns industry, that, that, that's got to be good, though, in, in an attempt to keep some of this stuff out of the landfill. Oh, yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, it's a positive. If you want what they call the circle, circular economy, you have to recycle, reuse, repurpose. Um, and that's a, a critical part of it. So you don't want people throwing something that can be repurposed or repaired in some cases away. So all that part of reverse logistics is great. But, you know, the first step, you know, if you go back to square one, is don't overconsume, right. right? Because each time you go through that cycle of what do I do with this thing now that no one wants it, that consumes money and time. And somebody has to pay for it. It also consumes energy. And energy, of course, in our economy, emits carbon. So there's a, definitely a cost to 
us creating this whole industry around reverse logistics because of overconsumption in our retail operations. And we have to recognize that it's a real cost and somebody has to pay it. Now, if it isn't the consumer with a, you know, a restock fee, it's going to be somebody, you know, having to expand landfill and the taxpayer having to fund that in some municipality. But that, that's a good point. I'm wondering at the end, you know, it seems like uh, these returns are free. That's the apparent, you know, the, you have this appearance, it's free. You could just put a QR code, you can send it back somewhere. But is it really free or, or is that cost really being passed on to the consumer? That's a good question because it's it either has to go um, to somebody. There's a that shipping charge for when you put the label on it, depending on how big of a, of a company you are, either on the manufacturing or retailing side, you're talking about 9 to $15 charge here for every item that's being shipped, depending on how big you are uh, in terms of how much stuff you ship. And, of course, somebody has to pay for that. It either goes out of your margin as the manufacturer or retailer selling that product or they've got to pass it on to future customers. Mm. And have you come across solutions to this? Uh, you know, to, to, to try to temper the balance this the, this 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 craze to buy and return, buy and return is. Are there solutions out there that Canada could look at? Apart from actually charging customers for restocking fees, and of course, some retailers here in Canada are doing that, particularly in the clothing industry. Um, whether they do it consistently is an interesting question. But you also have people trying to take out that logistics piece I just told you about the 9 to $14 shipping charge when you want to send something back and you're usually sent back to a distribution center or some processing center. Um, you know, the, the, I think it's called retail um, returns bearer. And uh, in Canada here, which basically tries to uh, take at least one of those logistical handle steps out of the process. So when somebody returns something or wants to return something, uh, they uh, they call up the company that's uh, that's uh, or the retailer that they're dealing with. The retailer uses this company to make a match with somebody who wants to buy that that product, and they ship directly person to person, from the former customer to the new customer, mm. taking out that step, going to the distribution center. So it gets a little bit technical what you can do here, and it, that helps, you know, by reducing the uh, the actual shipping and handling part, because there's, so that's, there's not only the shipping part that you can eliminate by doing that, but also the handling. Think of that person who's doing the restocking or inspecting the product to see yeah. whether it's any good. You know, if you can take them under the loop, it's going to lower the cost if you can't control the consumer. Well, yeah, so let's talk about that. One last thought from you. We, we are in peak shopping season now. So what, what do you think people should keep in mind as they shop? <laughs> you should know your shoe size. <laughs> <laughs> it's as easy as that. <laughs> it's as easy as that, or at least, you know, cut it down from eight different choices, maybe to two. That would be, you know, something you can do is the, on the consumer side, right? And um, and I think we've all tried to go online and saw something that was interesting, either a piece of article of clothing or not. I've definitely had that experience with shoes. And is it a 10 and a half or is it 11 or is it a 10? And, well, I'll just buy all three. Mm -hmm. Well, after a while, you know, sometimes you, I, hopefully we all start narrowing that, those choices down a little bit. And that, that really does help on our side. Yeah, I think r reminding people that what appears to be free 
isn't in the end. David, good to talk to you. It is not free. It's not free. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. David Johnson is the George Weston Chair in Sustainable Supply Chains at the Schulich School of Business at York University. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.